I want to begin by reading something from a book entitled Abba's Child by a guy named Brennan Manning. And what I'm going to read is an account of a dream he had. So use your imagination here. Later in the evening, as I dozed off, contrasting images danced on the screen of my mind. Carlton Hayes, a magnificently chiseled athlete in his early 20s, 6'3", 185 pounds, bounces on a trampoline, flashing his irresistible smile. A crowd is gathered. He switches to skipping rope, a dazzling display of coordination, agility, and grace. The onlookers cheer. Praise God, the athlete shouts. Meanwhile, Mo, one of Carlton's attendants, approaches with a glass of Gatorade. In his early 50s, Mo is five foot four and paunchy. He wears a rumpled suit, shirt open at the collar, the tie askew. Mo has a thinning sliver of matted hair extending from his temples to the back of his head where it disappears in a clump of gray-black hair. This little attendant is unshaven. His large jowls and one glass eye cause the spectator's eyes to dart away. Pathetic little twerp, one man says. Just a hanger-on, adds another. Mo is neither. His heart is buried with Christ in the Father's love. He moves unselfconsciously through the crowd and extends the Gatorade gracefully to his hero. He is as comfortable as a hand in a glove with his servant role. That's how Jesus first revealed himself to Mo and changed his life. That night, Carlton Hayes will deliver the main address at a banquet for celebrities who are attending from all 50 states. He'll be honored with a Waterford Crystal Cup as an Olympic gold medalist. 5,000 people gather at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Glitterati from worlds of politics, sports, and show business are scattered throughout the room. As Carlton steps to the podium, the crowd is just finishing a sumptuous meal. The speakers address Carlton's word abound with references to the power of God. Hearts are touched. Men and women weep unashamedly and give a standing ovation to Carlton. But behind the glossy delivery, Carlton's vacant stare reveals that his words do not inhabit his soul. Stardom has eroded his presence with Jesus. Intimacy with God has faded into the distance. The whispering of the Holy Spirit has been drowned out by deafening applause. Buoyed by success and the roar of the crowd, the Olympic hero moves easily from table to table. Back at the Red Roof Inn, Mo eats his frozen TV dinner alone. He was not invited to the banquet at the Ritz-Carlton because, quite honestly, he just wouldn't fit in. Surely it would not be fitting for a pot-bellied, glass-eyed, twerpy attendant to pull up a chair with these celebrities. Mo sits down at the table in his room. And closes his eyes. The love of the crucified Christ surges within him. His eyes fill with tears. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. He whispers as he peels the plastic top off his microwave lasagna. This dream revolves around a contrast between two people, Mo and Carlton. 
Mo, who is frumpy on the outside, but has a deep relationship with God on the inside. And Carlton, who is a superstar on the outside, but has a shallow love for God and a superficial relationship with God on the inside. And the story poses the question, which is better? Which is better, being stunted on the outside, but stunning on the inside like Mo, or being stunning on the outside and stunted on the inside like Carlton? Which is better? Well, the world says that being stunning on the outside is better because the world has a simple way of deciding who is ordinary and who is extraordinary in this life. Ordinary people look ordinary on the outside and extraordinary people look extraordinary on the outside. But to God, being extraordinary is about the inside of a person. An extraordinary person to God is a person who has an inner, private, secret, love relationship with God. So from God's perspective, it is the height of foolishness to be preoccupied with polishing an outside image that does nothing but fade year after year. On the other hand, it's the height of wisdom to build a relationship with God that does nothing but build and grow each year until it lasts for all eternity. And right here. In this contrast between Moe and Carlton, we get to the heart of what it means to be an extraordinary Christ follower. If you want the extraordinary life of a true Christ follower, you must decide that really loving God on the inside is the most important thing in life. That really loving God on the inside is the most important thing in life. If you're going to be an extraordinary Christ follower, you need to be more like Moe. Which does not mean that God wants you to be frumpy on the outside. No, being extraordinary in God's eyes means that you really love God. You really make loving God on the inside the most important thing in your life. Now, how do you know if you truly love God on the inside? Well, one way you know that you love God is if you engage in a daily dialogue with Him. Today, we conclude our study on the second characteristic of the true Christ follower. Extraordinary Christ follower characteristic number one is a Christ follower lives like Jesus. Extraordinary characteristic number two is a Christ follower loves God. So let's study this second characteristic of a Christ follower by discussing the importance of a loving God relationship built on a daily dialogue with him. So please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And if you're using the Bible provided for you, this is on page 684. Today we're asking again, what does it mean to love God? Last time we discovered that loving God is not a set of affectionate feelings for God. Uh, We discovered that according to Scripture, loving God is not having feelings for God. It's having a friendship with God. And... Just like any other relationship, a friendship with God thrives on communication. Loving God is having a friendship with God that includes a daily dialogue, which leads us to what Jesus has to say about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Jesus says, But when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In these words, Jesus gives uh, some really important teaching on having a dialogue with God, which is absolutely necessary. If you say you love God, you will have a dialogue, a daily dialogue with God. Jesus gives us three lessons on prayer. Let's go over them, starting with prayer lesson number one. Jesus teaches that a healthy dialogue with God begins with the proper motivation, where the proper motivation is a desire to love God in a daily friendship with him. Our motivation for prayer must be in sync with God's purpose for prayer. The purpose of prayer, what Jesus calls the reward of prayer in the passage we just read, the reward of prayer is building a friendship with God, the great God of the universe. Jesus says that the hypocrites were not motivated by the true purpose of prayer, a friendship with God, but they were instead motivated by a desire to impress people. So Jesus says, because these hypocrites miss the purpose of prayer, they'll also miss the reward of prayer, a growing friendship with God. Jesus teaches that it is possible to have bad motivation for praying, and that bad motives defeat the purpose of a conversation with God. And since Jesus specifically mentions this trying to impress people motive, people-pleasing tops the list of bad motives for prayer. There are other bad motives for prayer. The first one is people-pleasing motives, but trying to impress people is just one bad motive for prayer. Another way to defeat the purpose of a dialogue with God in prayer is praying out of guilt motives. You know, some grown children spend time with their parents just because they love their folks. But then there are other grown children who spend time with their parents because they have to. Some visit parents out of guilt. Some spend time with their parents because their parents will nag them to death if they don't call or don't visit. Some think of God this way. Some see God as a father who's never satisfied and is always saying, Hey, where have you been? Got a broken arm? Give me a call, for heaven's sakes. Uh, after all I've done for you, the least you can do is talk to me. Uh, and so some of us pray out of this kind of guilt. We pray because we have to. But this is based on a misunderstanding of who God is. God does not want us to dialogue with him out of guilt. God wants us to be those children who talk to him out of a heart, soul, and mind desire to spend time with him. Another bad motiv motivation for praying is praying out of duty. Uh, duty motives. Uh, just like uh, there are people who spend time with God out of guilt, some dialogue with God out of a dreary sense of obligation and routine. And just like those who pray out of guilt, uh, those who pray out of duty are under the misconception that prayer is something we do you know, for God, which is totally backwards. Uh, prayer is not something that we give to God as much as it is an amazing privilege that God gives to us. Prayer is a gift. God never forces on anyone. 
It's just a gift he offers and invites us to, a gift that he invites us to open over and over again uh, at any time, any day. But the most common bad motivation for praying is selfish get motives. A few years ago, I had an old friend from uh, high school uh, call me. And since I hadn't heard from Rich in several years, I was really excited when he said, hey, we got to get together. And uh, I was thinking he meant that we should try to get together in a couple of weeks. And so I was shocked when he said, uh, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, oh, I guess we can uh, make that work. And so the next night, Rich came over to my place for dinner and we had a great time catching up. We had a great time uh, talking. And after a long evening, at the uh, end of the evening, I walked him out to his car. And on the way out to his car, it happened. Rich asked me for $400. And he had a long story about his car and how he just needed a little help and how he'd pay me back in a week. And I said, sure, I can help you out. But you don't need to be very smart to smell a bad motive. And when I wrote him that check that night, I knew that I would never again see Rich or my $400. And when I called Rich, he ignored my calls. My suspicions were confirmed that he used me. And uh, all the nice things he did in seeking me out, calling me up, saying nice things about me, expressing gratitude for my friendship, these things all became meaningless in the light of his real motivation. It all became worthless as I realized that this reunion was not a celebration of a friendship but it was an expression of some selfish motive. And I think God feels the same way. God feels the same way when my motive for dialoguing with him is trying to get something from God. God is real smart. And he knows when the real reason I seek him and praise him and thank him is to get something from him. And so I think it must hurt God when I... See prayer simply as a way to get God to bless me or help me or feed me or give, 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 give me. When it's supposed to be all about a friendship, that's what the prayer is for. It's designed to be a friendship developer with God. Um, and the great thing about sharing this, uh, this little story about Rich is that after the first service, I had four people give me money that they owed me. So uh, uh, let the Holy Spirit lead you in this service as well. Uh, you know, when Jesus said that the hypocrites made prayer worthless by using prayer as a way to get people praise, Jesus makes it clear that God doesn't like being used. Motives mean everything to God. Just like you want to be loved for who you are, not for what you can give, God wants you to love him for who he is. Pray out of a motive or a desire to just know him. Grow in a fellowship and friendship with him. So in prayer lesson number one, Jesus teaches that a healthy dialogue with God begins with proper motivation. Where proper motivation is a desire to love God and a daily friendship with him. Prayer lesson number two, Jesus teaches that praying is not complicated. Uh, I haven't conducted any surveys, but I think there are three top reasons why Christ-following people don't pray. The top three reasons I don't pray. Uh, number three, I don't have time to pray. Uh, people don't pray because they think prayer is a big time commitment and they're just a little too busy. Number two, I don't understand prayer. 
uh, which goes, I don't pray because prayer doesn't make any sense. I mean, why should I bother asking God to do this or that when God is sovereign, he's in control, he's already decided what he's going to do, and what I ask him to do isn't going to make any difference. Last comes what I think is the number one reason many Christ-following people don't pray. I don't pray well. I'm convinced that a lot of prayerlessness in uh, Christ-following people is due to feelings of inadequacy. I'm a failure at prayer. I get distracted. My mind wanders. I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to end. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus answers all three of these top questions or top reasons we don't pray. In verse 7, Jesus says, don't go on babbling like people who don't know God. And then in verse 8, Jesus addresses the idea that prayer is really all about building a relationship with God. When he says, don't be like these people who don't know God because your daddy knows what you need before you even ask him. That's the uh, word that Jesus is, uh, is using here for father. It's, a, it's an intimate word relating to something like daddy. And so starting in verse 9, Jesus then goes on to give a sample prayer. And first notice that the prayer starts with that word daddy again. And then second, notice that this model prayer that Jesus gives us is a total of 52 words in length. So Jesus answers the top three questions you don't pray. Uh, the top three reasons you don't pray. When you say, I don't have time to pray, Jesus says, the problem is you're making prayer too complicated. You don't need a big block of time for lengthy prayers. You don't need to babble on and on and on to get God's attention. Jesus says, you can pray something like this. And then he gives a prayer that is 52 words in length. Uh, do you know how long it takes to uh, pray 52 words? I timed it. Uh, Jesus' model prayer takes 20 seconds. So Jesus asks, do you have 20 seconds to pray? You're not that busy. You're not that busy. Of course you have 20, 20 seconds to pray. Jesus says, of course you have time to pray. And when you say, I don't understand prayer, I don't understand how my requests have an impact on a sovereign God who's already made up his mind on things. Jesus says, you're making prayer too complicated. Prayer is all about a relationship with God. Prayer is about a child talking to his or her daddy. So if you understand a relationship between a father and a child, if you understand how a relationship between a father and child grows as the, as the child grows to learn to talk and dialogue with his or her father, then you understand everything you need to know about prayer, Jesus says. And then the last reason, when you say, I don't pray well enough, Jesus says, once again, praying is not complicated. If prayer gives you performance anxiety, you are making it too complicated. Don't measure yourself against some standard. Just be a child talking to your daddy who loves you, accepts you, and wants you. Jesus said you have a heavenly father who just wants to be with you. So in prayer lesson number two, Jesus teaches that praying is not complicated. Prayer lesson number three, Jesus teaches that balanced prayer is most rewarding. Among the many things that Jesus teaches in his model prayer, one of the most important lessons in, uh, includes balance. 
Uh, in his prayer, Jesus teaches us a lot about balancing the content of prayer. And I'm going to get to the content in just a moment. But let me just mention two other topics under this category of balance. First, it's important to balance listening to God with speaking to God. Properly understood, prayer, a prayer relationship, is not just talking to God. It is also listening to God. Remember, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Jesus doesn't say this directly, but when he tells us not to babble on and on and on like people who don't know God, I've got to believe that Jesus is reminding us that sometimes prayer is just being quiet. Just being quiet and listening. Listening to God. Uh, later on in the series, we're going to study more about this listening to God, especially as it relates to the Bible in listening to God. But right now, just I really believe that there are some people here today that if you would just get out of the monologue kind of mentality when it comes to prayer and think of prayer as a dialogue where you're not only talking to God, but you're listening I think it would revolutionize your time with God and your prayer and your interest in prayer and the joy, because it's a joy to listen to God. Uh, next, it is important to balance concentrated prayer with context prayer. Now, if I were to ask you, uh, what's more important, setting aside some time each day to concentrate on God in prayer in a special prayer time with God, or is it more important to talk to God throughout the day in the context of your daily schedule? If I were to ask you that question, you should say to me, that is one dumb question. Uh, because it is. It's a dumb question. It's like asking, uh, is it more important for a married couple to uh, talk to each other and give each other some concentrated, concentrated conversation time, say, over a meal? Or is it more important for them to talk in the midst of the routine of home life? They're both important. It's a dumb question. A married couple must have times when they give each other undivided attention, say, over a meal, but it's also just as important for married couples to talk in the midst of the routine of everyday home life. A healthy relationship needs a balance of both concentrated and context conversation. The Christ follower loves God by giving God some of his or her undivided attention every day. Setting aside some time for concentrated conversation with God. But a Christ follower also loves God by talking to God in context, throughout the routines of the day, in work, at home, everywhere, talking to God along the way. So now let's get to the uh, thing that Jesus teaches concerning balance in prayer content. Jesus teaches that it is important to balance our prayers with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Let's talk briefly about a little acrostic that most of you probably have heard of before. It's designed to keep balance in our acts of prayer. Uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to write vertically the four letters in the word acts. A-C-T-S. Uh, you know, most of us, when we think of prayer, we think immediately of making requests to God. When we think of prayer, we think immediately of a laundry list that we ring off to God of things that we need. But notice that in this model prayer, Jesus doesn't start asking for things. He starts by expressing praise to God. Jesus starts his prayer with adoration. Hallowed be your name, Jesus says. Jesus starts his prayer with this 
Hallowed be your name. Hallowed uh, means holy or set apart with excellence. He's saying, God, you are unique. You are special. You are just amazing in who you are. You're totally holy. Hallowed. So Jesus starts his prayer by adoring God's greatness and keeping in mind the importance of proper motivation. It only makes sense that we start by just focusing on who God is in his character and his greatness and and focusing with adoration on God before we come along with our laundry list of the things that we need. Then Jesus continues his prayer with confession. Uh, In confession, he says, forgive us our debts. Jesus says, forgive us our debts. God, forgive us. Um, God, we confess that we've failed. We confess that we've hurt you. Please forgive Uh, And this confession is crucial to an honest relationship and friendship with God. You know, one of my all-time favorite TV shows is Leave it to Beaver, uh, which follows the growing up days of two brothers, uh, little Theodore Beaver Cleaver and his older brother Wally. And out of all Wally's friends, the most colorful character is Eddie Haskell. Uh, Eddie Haskell had this habit of acting one way when he was around parents like Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver and then acting another way when he was around his friends. Uh, when parents were around, Eddie would say, My Mrs. Cleaver, what a beautiful dress you're wearing today. You'll have to excuse us because Walter and I were just about ready to go into town to peruse various establishments. But we would also be happy to bring Theodore along with us if you wish. And then as soon as Mrs. Cleaver uh, was beyond earshot, the real Eddie Haskell would turn to Theodore and say, Don't say a word, Beaver. Just because I told your old lady that you could come along doesn't mean you get to talk, Squirt. Uh, Just be glad we're not charging you for babysitting. (laughs) That's my Eddie Haskell uh, imitation. (laughs) And then the Beaver will say, Gee, Eddie. That's my Beaver imitation. Okay. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's all free. It's all free. Uh, And the point is that God won't tolerate any Eddie Haskell action in your relationship with him. God wants the real you. God wants you as you really are. And that's why Jesus models this practice of confession, which is just the process of getting honest with God. No pretending, no hiding, no uh, trying to pretend like you're somebody that you're not. Then T stands for thanksgiving. Adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, which is implied in this prayer. It's an implied response to God's forgiveness. Jesus never explicitly mentions thanks in his prayer, but an attitude of gratitude is implied as the appropriate response to God's forgiveness and his provision of daily bread. And of course, more importantly, in Philippians chapter 4, God tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Which leads us to the last letter in the Acts of Prayer. S for supplication. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus prays. Now, supplication is just a fancy word for asking God for things. And asking, the asking part of prayer is extremely important. In James chapter 4, verse 2, we're told, You do not have because you do not ask God. It is important to ask God in prayer. But just as it is important to balance uh, 
all these prayers, these types of prayers, it's important to not just dwell on the supplication part, but to also balance it all with adoration and confession and thanksgiving. If you are a Christ follower, it isn't enough to just say you love God. A true Christ follower decides that really loving God on the inside is the most important thing in life. A true Christ follower loves God and demonstrates that love by engaging in a daily dialogue with God, by putting Jesus' prayer lessons into action and engaging in this daily conversation with God. Carlton looked great on the outside, but he had a shallow relationship with God on the inside. To God, it didn't matter what Mo looked like on the outside. Mo was extraordinary because Mo on the inside, had a deep love relationship with God. What does God say about you? In God's eyes, are you more like Carlton? Are you more like Mo? Do you love God in a daily dialogue with Him? Don't say you love God if you're not engaging the extraordinary privilege talking with God and concentrated and in context prayer throughout the day. Sometime this week, sit down with God and dialogue with Him using the acts of prayer, A-C-T-S, and then continue to love God in a daily dialogue with Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You love us so much that You desire us to come and just develop a friendship with you. Lord, we pray that you would dwell in us and grow in us a greater friendship with you as we dialogue with you. Lord, as we give you our offering right now, we do it again out of this same friendship, this adoration and thanksgiving that we bring to you now. Lord, we pray that it would be a daily part of our dialogue with you. Amen.